0: Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive.
1: Morning, everybody. Yes, we're reading from Acts 4, and I'm going to start at verse 23. I'm guessing it'll come up on the screens. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant Our father David, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God boldly.
0: Duncan, that was great. (sighs) Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Lovely to see you. My name's Anna. Uh, If I've not had the pleasure of meeting you, shall we pray for a second before I begin? Lord, would you come and meet with your people? Come and meet with the hungry? Come and meet with the hurting? Would you use my words, Lord? Would you anoint them to meet with your people this morning and to achieve the purposes that you have for them? In your name I pray. Amen. Wow. What day are we on today? Anyone remember the date? Sunday, yeah? Thursday? It's very much Sunday, 5th of November. What happens on 5th of November? It's bonfire night. Exactly. Happy bonfire night. Um, Today is Guy Fawkes Day. I don't know whether it's just because we have a, a new Canadian friend on our staff team uh, that has just joined us. But it's made me think, what the heck is Guy Fawkes Night? Why do we celebrate Guy Fawkes Night? He was asking this morning, like, what do you do on Guy Fawkes Night? And it made me think, where does the whole thing come from? Does anyone know the story of Guy Fawkes? It's actually a really quite strange and quite scary story. But in many ways, Guy Fawkes was a revolutionary. 1605, Guy Fawkes and a group of his friends some Catholic men plotted to assassinate the King of England on the throne at the times, James I, who was a Protestant king. Now, you had to understand a little history lesson for you all. In the decades following the Protestant Reformation, Catholics became increasingly marginalized and in some cases persecuted. And so there is a group of men, conspirators, who planned to plant explosives, dynamites, below the Houses of Parliament during the state opening in order to assassinate James I and in order for a um, Catholic uh, governance to come in place. Now, Guy Fawkes was in charge of the explosives. His job was to be in charge of the gunpowder. In fact, um, the legend goes that he was discovered with 36 barrels of gunpowder under the Houses of Parliament, match apparently in hand about to uh, set off an explosion that would have decimated the Houses of Parliament, but stopped just in his tracks, discovered and arrested and then executed in a quite savage death. <laughs> 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 the kids have gone out and- But for all intents and purposes, Fawkes was a revolutionary, a revolution, a desire to see the end of the rule of one government and to start a new governance, a revolution. We are, all that to say, in a series on the Jesus Revolution, a different kind of revolution. We, as people of the Jesus Revolution, are looking to see a new kingdom. In place here on earth. We desire, we long to see, we are part of the establishing of a new kingdom, a different kingdom here on earth, a revolution. But instead of gunpowder, we turn to different tools. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at various different tools that we need if we are going to be part of bringing this kingdom, God's kingdom, here on earth. We've looked at worship as a tool, we've looked at witness. Last week, Amy spoke on power, and today we're going to talk about the tool of prayer. Now, this isn't to undermine any of the other weeks or the weeks to come, but I honestly believe, friends, that this is the most important tool that you and I have in our arsenal. This is the tool that God gives us if we are to join and be part of the Jesus revolution in fact I just made a new friend who's over for the year from Pakistan studying and we were just chatting in the little break in the piece and he was saying I've come to visit your church because I want to see how Christians pray I want to know how you pray the world is looking to us to see how we pray how we as Christians that is the unique thing we have the unique tool that we have is our ability, our connection with God, our ability to pray to Him. How do we shake the world? Through prayer. In our reading, we just um, read from Acts as the church is getting established, Pentecost has happened, the Jesus Revolution has begun, it's been inaugurated by Jesus Himself. And what do the people of the Jesus Revolution do? They gather in one room together and they pray. With one voice, it says, they pray. And what happens? The room shakes as they pray with one voice. When were you last in a prayer meeting? When the room shook. I want to be part of that kind of prayer that makes the room shake. That is the tool that we are talking about today, a tool that can shake the world. The reality is that you and I live in this kingdom, the kingdom of this world, And you don't have to be alive for very long to know that it is a disordered world that we live in. We find ourselves living in a chaotic and disordered world. Rowan Williams put it like this. We live in the heart of a needy, messy, contaminated world. In fact, I thought of four characteristics that define the kingdom that you and I find ourselves in. One characteristic, first characteristic, disconnected from God. We find ourselves in a kingdom that is disconnected from God. A few weeks ago, I was on my way to church, and I was filling up my car with petrol, and I just got chatting to the um, person behind the cashier, and we just talked about our days, and they said, where are you going today? Where where are you off to? And I said, oh, I'm off to church. It's Sunday. And they were like, oh, yeah. He looked at me like, oh, people still do that on a Sunday. That's something that there are some people in the world that are still doing that. We live in a world that is disconnected from God. Second characteristic, we find ourselves in a kingdom, the kingdom of this world, that is isolated and lonely. We are seeing more isolation and loneliness than ever before. Before I came to be with you lovely people at Trinity, I was at a different church in the city, in the north of the city in fact, on some of the estates in the north of the city. Um, And I just found that there was nowhere to gather. There was no good community space. In fact, the only place in this part of the city that you could kind of meet with anyone else was the gambling shop on the corner. And it just, it annoyed me so much that the only place that these people could gather and have community was a gambling shop. It just Irritating my spirit so much. It was on the, the corner of my street that I lived on. And every time I walked past, just thought, this is not okay. And so we, a group of us started a little coffee shop, very basic coffee shop in our church. And it was amazing. As, as the community gathered, people who were isolated and lonely finding community. And there's one particular lady who would come in. Her name was Joy, which I found ironic because Joy, honestly, was really hard work. And when Joy came into our little coffee shop, I am sorry to say, I apologize before you to say that my heart would drop because Joy did not bring any joy with her. And she was quite, honestly, she was quite mean to our volunteers. Um, She could be quite rude and just was a really challenging individual to the point where one day, I don't know what came upon me, um, but I just found myself saying to her, Joy, you can be so mean. Now, that is not good pastoral skills. I don't, I don't recommend that to I honestly don't know what kind of a day I was having, but Joy, honestly, you can be quite mean. And she just broke down in tears, just absolutely broke down in tears. We sat, we had a, cu- a cup of coffee, better pastoring skills. We had a cup of coffee, and she just told me her story, that she um, had been in an abusive relationship. She'd been married to an addict, She was on her own and she said, you know, the only time that I speak to anybody in the week is when I come to this cafe. The only time that I have any interaction with anybody else in this world is when I come to you, to this coffee shop. You're the only people I speak to all week. And just from there on out, developed the most lovely relationship with Joy. And um, she became like my favorite person. When she would walk into the coffee shop, my heart would sing. Um, But you just don't know, do you? You don't know what people are walking around with. You don't know the kind of isolation and loneliness that people are experiencing. So a kingdom of isolation. We live in a kingdom of a world of hopelessness as well. I don't know if you're experiencing that or seeing that. Increased sense of hopelessness. I had a conversation with a friend on Friday night over dinner. He was just uh, describing to me his... Anxiety that he was experiencing at the moment, just crushing anxiety to the point where it's beginning to cripple his life, cripple the life of his family. And he was just describing to me absolute hopelessness. Like, I don't know, I don't know where I go from here. Like, I don't know if it gets better. Is this it? Basically, was the conversation. Like, is this how it goes? Is this the life that we're in? You guys are having conversations like this, I know, as well, all the time. The people that are experiencing increased hopelessness. And then finally, the fourth characteristic, desensitization. We live in a world of desensitization. People are just numbing out. Maybe because of all those other characteristics I just described, people are just becoming increasingly numb to the world and what they see around them. I have a friend that I'm journeying with at the moment who is just using the gym and exercise to numb out. Like, the more I can go to the gym, I'll just feel less. If I can just... um, basically abuse my body, then I'll just stop feeling because I don't want to feel everything that this world, living in this kingdom is like. So I'm just going to use exercise as a form of abuse. There is a kingdom, it's the kingdom that we live in right now that's at hand, that is not of God. And here's the thing, it needs to be dethroned, it needs to be overthrown. It needs to be dethroned, and it needs to be overthrown. We need a revolution. We need the Jesus revolution. And this is what Jesus came to do. He led an uprising against the disorder of this world. He led an uprising against the kingdom of this world. He led a revolution. In fact, when he prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that is a revolutionary prayer. That is the prayer of a revolutionary Your kingdom come, God. We need a new kingdom. We need a different kingdom to the kingdom that we currently live in, the reality that we currently experience is not okay. We need a different kind of kingdom. So Jesus is praying there, a revolutionary prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right in the middle of that prayer is this idea that there is a kingdom that is not God's kingdom that needs to be overturned. And there is a different kingdom that belongs to God, that needs to be realized and established. And Jesus talks about this kingdom, his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And when he does, he describes it as a mustard seed. Mustard seed would have been the tiniest seed that they would have known about in those days, the tiniest thing that they could have thought, think of, a mustard seed. That is what Jesus says the kingdom of God is like. Something small, but growing. Something small, but growing. Jesus established it, inaugurated it, but it's something that is growing slowly over time. Right in the middle of this kingdom, the world that we live in, there is another kingdom that is growing. And it started as a mustard seed, but it is growing through people like you and me. Ordinary people like you And me, when we are baptized into God's kingdom, we become part of growing this seed. And it feels so sneaky to me that it's this little thing that's just popping up all over the place, growing. You can't stop it. This kingdom of God that you and I get to be part of growing. I really like it. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, they have a tradition around baptism. When someone gets baptized, they call that day the eighth day. Now, of course, we have seven days in our week, Sunday to Saturday, seven days. But in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they have this, they create this eighth day when someone gets baptized as a way of saying, those seven days belong to the world and represent the limits of the world, the limits of the kingdom of the world. This is a special eighth day that represents eternity. We're going to live on the eighth day, the eternal day. A day where we see God's kingdom, where there's no limits. On the eighth day, you are a citizen of heaven and you belong to this new reality. You belong to the story of God. So baptism day becomes the eighth day, where you learn to live in this new kingdom that exists outside of the normal seven days of the world. And then following their baptism, they would go into something called bright week. It's basically a week of retreat. And on bright week, they will take communion twice a day. They'll worship, they'll pray. And they learn to live in this eternal story as part of the kingdom of God. They learn to live open to eternity and transparent to the kingdom. Sounds like a great week. And then after bright week, what would happen traditionally is you'd walk back to your towns or your villages You'd enter your work, you'd go about your daily business, you'd return to your families. And the idea is that you carried the spirit of the eighth day into the seven. That you learned to become someone that lived as the eighth day among people of the seven days. To live as revolutionaries. To live among the chaos, to live among the kingdom of this world as people of another kingdom. Rowan Williams puts it like this, where, you will, where will you find the baptized people? You will find them in the neighborhood of chaos. The climax of our baptism is to bring the message of the kingdom to a needy, messy, contaminated world, to see the seeds of the kingdom of God in this world growing. We are called, you and me, are called to be prophetic people People who can see a different way is possible. A different kingdom exists. People who can see that the kingdom of God is available and bring that kingdom forward in every word that we speak and in every prayer that we pray. We are called to be people that have prophetic imaginations, that can see the world around us in the light of the kingdom. That's what artists do. They imagine another world. They paint for us a different reality. That's what the artists do. Walter Brueggemann said this, imagination is a danger to the regimes of this world. Every totalitarian regime is afraid of the artists. Because art uses the imagination to paint a different world. We must keep the ministry of imagination alive. We must be able to imagine a different world and not accept The world that we currently live in. We don't need more echoes of the world around us. We do not need more echoes of this kingdom. We need voices. We need voices that speak a different kingdom, prophetic voices. Now, how do we actually live this out? How do we live as people of the eighth day? It is really hard. Honestly, if you are um, living as a Christian today in your families, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, that, is, that deserves encouragement and praise enough. It is hard to live out as people of the eighth day in the seven. This is a hard calling. There are challenges and there are oppositions. So how do we do it? Well, we come back to prayer. Prayer is the weapon. Karl Barth said this, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. To clasp the hands in prayer is how we disorder this world. It's how we create chaos in this world that we want to see. Prayer is the weapon right at the heart of the Jesus revolution. Just as Jesus prayed, we too must pray, your kingdom come. if the kingdom of this world encourages disconnection from God, prayer is the answer. Prayer is the counterformation. If the kingdom of this world encourages isolation and loneliness, prayer is the answer. Prayer is the counterformation. If the kingdom of this world encourages hopelessness, prayer is the weapon and the answer. If the kingdom of this world encourages desensitization, prayer is the weapon and the answer. Prayer is the weapon against all these things. Firstly, prayer is the weapon against disconnection from God. We must cultivate a prayer life where we are connected to God on a regular basis. We must cultivate a devotional prayer life where we are spending time with Jesus. Honestly, writing this talk is so convicting. Writing any talk on prayer, obviously you're going to analyse your own prayer life, aren't you? And I have felt so convicted this week. Am I cultivating a prayer devotional prayer life? Am I connecting to Jesus on a regular basis? John 15 says, stay connected to the vine. If we are not connected to the vine, we have nothing. There is no fruit. There is no fruit. If we are not cultivating a devotional prayer life, we will see nothing. Moses said it best when he said, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, what do we have? What is different about us? from anyone else in the world other than the presence of God. That is what we carry. Intimacy with God is what you and I have that is unique in this world. The presence of God is the thing that you and I have to offer this world. That's the thing that we carry. So are we cultivating intimacy with Jesus? Are we regularly being filled up with the presence of Jesus? Disconnection from God, in my experience happens just over time by accident. I don't know if you can relate to this. It's very rarely an event. Normally, it's just getting busy, isn't it? Normally, it's just life filling up. Normally, it's just I've become more hurried. More things are on my to-do list. Most of the time, I don't notice when I've become disconnected from God until until very late down the line, not too late, but very late down the line. Normally, it's just a fade. Busyness and distractions gotten in the way, and before I know it, I realize I'm really disconnected from God. Before I started this job, I'd finished my old job. I had a little bit of time, so I spent. I decided to go away and spend some time on my own with God. I went to Devon. I went to um, a church there that has... Um, some accommodation that you can stay in. I stayed in a really nice kind of converted barn for a few days, no Wi-Fi, no phone. I decided to put my phone away, Um, just nothing other than me and I didn't even want to bring books so I just had my Bible. It was just me and my Bible for three days on this farm. The intimacy that came in that time, the connection that came during that time because I'd carved out space to prioritize connection with my father and the fruit from those three days. Now the challenge is, how do I bring that back into my life? I don't get to spend three days in a barn in Devon very regularly. neither do you. How do we bring that intimacy, that devotion, that connection into our everyday? What are you going to do? What am I going to do? What practices? we saw mentioned, advertised, the prayer cabin. Can I recommend that to you? Can I recommend that that becomes part of your routine, part of your rhythm, that you get out to the prayer cabin once a week? We're going to rework on the prayer space up here, the prayer room, in time. Could that become part of your rhythm that you book in to go into our prayer room here at church? Connection with God is what you and I have. It's the tool of the revolution. So how are we going to how are we going to cultivate it? Secondly, prayer is the weapon against isolation. Can I recommend you cultivating a corporate prayer life as well? Not just time to pray on your own. That's so important. But time to pray with others. Are you praying regularly with other people? Are you getting together with friends to pray? I think Aaron shows us this best in the Old Testament. When Moses is interceding over the war, when his hands are up, the Israelites are winning. When his hands are down, the Israelites are losing. Aaron comes alongside Moses when he tires to hold Moses' hands up in prayer, to help him to keep going, to help him to keep interceding. Who's holding your hands up in prayer? Who have you got in your life that are to your left and to your right holding up your hands, being an Aaron for you? Who are you being an Aaron for? Aaron became a priest and he um, would go into the tabernacle, into the presence of God, wearing his um, armor. Inscribed on his armor was the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, he went into the presence of God with the 12 tribes of Israel on his heart, carrying others with him into the presence of God. As we go into the presence of God, who are we carrying with us? Who are our people? that we're doing corporate prayer with. It was about 10 years ago that I got into the habit of praying with two other women. Three of us prayed together over a decade. Now, none of us live in the same city, but we're still praying together. Are you in a few? Is that something that you want to think about? Is that something you want to reinstate if you're not? Who are going to be your people Prayer is the weapon against hopelessness. Number three, can I encourage you to cultivate a persistent prayer life? A prayer life that keeps going against the odds, that keeps pressing in, even when we don't necessarily see immediate answers to prayer. Because the reality is that we live in a time when the kingdom is still not yet fully realized. We live in a time where the kingdom of God is growing and not yet fully established. So in the meantime, we live in this reality of this world in the midst of brokenness and despair. We have to learn the art. If we're going to live in this way, if we're going to live in the reality of the seven, we're going to need to be persistent in prayer. We're going to need to develop persistent prayer lives. If the kingdom of God is growing and not yet fully realized, then we need to keep going in our prayers. We need to learn how to pray in ways that keeps on going, that is confident of God's character, even when we don't fully understand what is happening all the time. We are called to be, above all else, people of hope, to hold on to hope, to keep praying in that kingdom, even when it is a slow seed, even when it is only a small seed, even when we see only small signs of it. We are called to be people who hold on to hope, Walter Brugman said, we are ordained by God to be people of hope. God has made promises to us. And we, therefore, can have hope. We are people of God's promises. And we can trust in them, we can believe in them. Hope is a decision against despair. We are called to decide to not despair, but to have hope. And to pray in a way where we hold on to hope. I'm sure there are plenty of things that you are praying for right now that you are not seeing quick answers to. I'm sure that you are holding on to things in prayer that haven't yet come to pass. I know I have a friend who's battling with addiction, has been for a while now. I haven't seen a breakthrough in that. I haven't seen an answer to that prayer yet. But my job is to keep going in prayer. My job is to be persistent in prayer, to be a person of hope, to be a person that decides to keep hoping even against despair, to believe in God's promises. And so, my encouragement to you this morning cultivate cultivate a corporate prayer life, cultivate a prayer life of devotion, personal devotion. And cultivate a prayer life that is persistent, that keeps on going. And that is how we will see the Jesus Revolution. That is how we will see God's kingdom continue to grow. Why don't we stand for a moment? huge temptation to uh, want to rely on self-sufficiency isn't it? To rely on our own power, to rely on our own strength to get things done if we want to see the kingdom of God the temptation is that we want to do that in our own strength Amy spoke about this last week what we need is God's power and God's strength and the way we access that is through prayer communion in just a second, but I want to encourage you just to close your eyes for a moment. If you haven't, um, if you don't feel like you've connected with God for a while, why don't you just spend a moment just saying hi, reconnecting. the one takeaway? What's the one thing that you want to act on this morning? What's the one area where you're feeling stirred?